Well, thank you for uh, having me this evening. It's great to be with you. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's great to be here. Um, I know Christy's just prayed for me, but let's just pray as we, uh, as we come to think about the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we do have your word and we can learn from it. And Lord, as we uh, look at it this evening, we pray that you will open it up to us that you will reveal what you want to be saying to us. Lord, if anything that I speak or I say is not from you, Lord, let it fall away. But let us hold on to those things that you want to impress on our hearts, on our minds, and on our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Rachel, my wife and I, have had the privilege of living in Indonesia for a number of years. Um, And Indo is an amazingly diverse country. On the one hand, it's got the highest population in the world of Muslims. There are mosques on every street corner, and often these mosques will compete with one another over the the loudspeaker, you know, the loudspeaker that does the call to prayer. Um, They will put their children on the loudspeaker. They will let people practice songs, and to the qualification for being to sing over the loudspeaker seems to be that you can't sing. Um, the, the country is steeped in Islam. Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, Islam is there. But yet, it is an amazingly diverse country. Even in its very constitution, Two of the religions that you are allowed to be, and therefore you're not allowed to be discriminated against, are Catholicism and Christianity. So you can legally be a Christian in Indonesia. You can legally be a Christian. You can have it on your ID card. And therefore, there is actually in some parts of the country a vibrant church, a church that worships God wholeheartedly that passionately wants to serve him. And they actually are calling out for people to go and work with them, which is what we did, to be able to equip them to go to the ends of the earth. They are excited about the mission of God and taking it to the ends of the earth. And that really, really excites me. But coming from a, a living in a culture like that and seeing um, Islam in all its prevalence... I was really intrigued as I was doing some research for what I wanted to to say this evening that Google actually popped up a number of search suggestions. You know when you get kind of the first line um, on Google. And time and again on this page that I was searching, um, there was article after article seemed to claim that Muslims, Jews, and Christians all worship the same God. Do we? Really? Now, I agree. I had a look at one or two of these articles, and I agree with the first line of one of them that says, it's complicated. (laughs) History, and historically, all these religions can trace their roots back to the Middle East, back to Abraham, and Abraham worshipped God. So, therefore, the assumption is, all of us, because we can all trace our history back there, worship the same God. Added to that, you've got the Shahada, the Muslim creed, the thing that they put over the loudspeaker, 
which declares that God is one. If you look at Deuteronomy 6, 4, you've got the Jewish Shema, and that declares, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that's what the Jews believe, and it's also in our Bible, so we believe that as well. So all these three religions are saying God, God is one. We can all trace our history back to Abraham. But I also want to, to give you a different answer. Yes, it's a complicated scenario, but actually it's also very, very simple. We don't worship the same God. And how do I know that? How can I tell you that? Well, because no Jew or Muslim would have joined in those songs with us this evening. Because they reveal and they speak about the God who is revealed through Jesus. They would not acknowledge Jesus as God. And therefore, those religions do not worship the same God as we do. We worship Jesus. As Hebrews 1 says, in the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is God. Jesus reveals who God is to us, and therefore he deserves to be prayed, worshipped, and glorified. To the ear of a Muslim, to the ear of a Jew, that would be blasphemy. So, we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, but keep that in mind that actually for the Jew, because that's who's going to be in this story, actually they wouldn't worship anyone but God. We're going to read from Matthew 28, verses 5 to 10, and then 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verse 5. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, and he has said, Come, sorry, as, as he has said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then on to 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am, all, I am with you always to the end of the age. That amazing morning 
the women would have been in a state of shock, fear, awe, confusion, and so, so much more. The angel gave them his message and then quickly sent them on their way. Jesus has risen, the angel said. Now, go to the disciples and tell them to get to Galilee. Jesus will meet them there. Then Jesus himself met those women. Now, these were good Jewish women. They would have known their scriptures. They would have known that God is the only God they worship. But what did they do? They worshipped Jesus. Then, just like the angel had done, Jesus sent them on their way, told them to tell the disciples to go to Galilee, and he would meet them there. But why Galilee? Why did Jesus not just go and meet the disciples in Jerusalem, like he had done at other times? Why, if he wanted to do it on a mountaintop, did he not use the Mount of Olives, which was literally just down the road from where they were? Well, right back in the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 4, when Jesus starts his ministry, Matthew noticed that Jesus moved to Galilee. And he justified the move that Jesus made by quoting Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Nephtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen the great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Galilee was known as the land of the Gentiles. And it was here on that mountain in Galilee that Jesus wanted to give his last command to his disciples. So the disciples went. They were obedient and they arrived at the mountain before Jesus did. Imagine the scene, the air of expectation. We're going to meet Jesus. He's going he's to turn up in a moment. What's he going to do? What's, what's he going to say? Interestingly, in the other resur- resurrection accounts, like the ones in Luke and the ones in John, Jesus simply appears amongst the disciples. For those texts say that the disciples were, were startled, they were frightened, they, they thought they may have even seen a ghost. But here, in Matthew 28, Jesus approaches the group. They see him, and then later, he comes to them. Upon seeing Jesus, what was their reaction? What, what did they do? Well, just like the women, these good Jewish men fell on their knees and worshipped. They acknowledged Jesus as God. It's interesting to note that some of them doubted. Um, and this just goes to show that it was a real situation. Some of those disciples were hesitant. Should we, should we be worshipping him? But others fully sold out. We know who you are. You've come back to life, Lord. You deserve to be worshipped. So Jesus then comes close. He draws near, but he draws near in order to be able to give them the one last set of instructions. One last great 
commandment. He starts off by declaring that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now that would have been significant to these guys' ears on many levels. uh, Matthew's just highlighted that some of them are doubting, is is Jesus really who, who he claims to be? But continually throughout the gospel, and this is the in a sense, the more important point, continually throughout the gospel, Jesus has used the title of the Son of Man for himself. A title set taken from Daniel 7, where the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days and is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. Jesus declares to his disciples the fulfillment of that vision as that Daniel saw of the Son of Man. Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. He had been given all authority in heaven and on earth. He had been given all glory and all sovereign power too. Jesus declares himself the God that needs to be and should be and deserves to be worshipped by every nation under the sun. And it's significant for that too, but it's also significant because when Satan tried to tempt Jesus, all that Satan could do was say to him, here are the kingdoms of the world, bow down to me and I'll give you their glory, I'll give you authority over them. But Jesus had far more authority than that, not just what the devil could offer him. He'd already proved throughout the gospel that he had authority over nature, authority over the sick, authority over demons, authority over spirits, authority over healing sickness. Jesus now declares he has all authority in heaven and on earth, all authority He is the only one. He has no equal. He is the only one that deserves to be glorified. So, Jesus claims this authority. He says, I am the one to be worshipped. I am the one to be glorified. And then he says to his followers this command. He says, go from Galilee to all the nations. Go from the land of the Gentiles into the Gentile lands. Take the good news of salvation and make disciples through baptism and training. It's not simply good enough to share your faith, but we have to make disciples. We need to be training them how to live. Jesus commanded his disciples and he commands us too that we are to teach them to obey the things that Jesus commanded, to demonstrate to them and to show them how to live in the kingdom of heaven. We are to demonstrate to people all across the earth what it means to have Jesus as Lord, what it means to worship the King who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay, I want to do something slightly different. Can everybody 
Uh, stand up for me, please. I'm going to give you about 10 seconds, and I want you to think. If you were to drive in any direction from your house, 15 minutes in any direction, how many churches do you think you would go past? Okay, if you think you could get to at least 10 churches in 15 minutes in any direction, sit down. If you think you could get to seven churches in any direction, sit down. If you think you could get to five churches in any direction, sit down. If you think you could get to two churches in any direction, sit down. If you think you could get to a church in, within 15 minutes of your house, excellent. Everybody sat down. Okay, another question. If you had a question about Jesus, if you wanted to know more, raise your hand if you can't think of anybody you could ask. There's a surprise. There's not a single hand in the air. We live in a privileged country, although we might not always realize it and think about it. Each of us have access to people that can help us learn more about Jesus. Each of us can get to a church within 15 minutes of our house. Jesus' command was to make disciples of all nations. The Greek word and the Greek phrase that's used in Matthew 28, 19 is panta ta ethne, which is used several times in Matthew's gospel to mean both Jew and Gentile. We often think when we think of nations, which is how it's translated in our texts, as those political countries that have borders that are all pinks and yellows on the map. But actually, that word ethne should sound familiar to you. It's the word from which we get ethnicity. It's the word from which we get ethnic. So actually, what Jesus was saying to his disciples on that mountain is go from this mountain to every ethnicity. Go in and make disciples among each one. So how are we doing? What do you think? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find large numbers hard to grasp and hard to visualize. The current world population is just over 7.6 billion people. Ethnic groupings, people predict, are around 17,000. So how many of them do we think we've managed to take the gospel to? How many of them have got churches or followers of Jesus established within them? In my hand, I've got a 10-centimeter piece of roller blind chain. Now, if each one of these balls represented one of those ethnicities, how many people do you think that chain would represent? Well, the first ball could be the Sundanese of Indonesia, 36.8 million people. The second could be the Bedouin of Saudi Arabia, just over a million. The third, the Azerbaijani of Azerbaijan, at 8.8 million. The fourth, the Tatar of Belarus, 
at 7,200. The fifth, the Dobi of India at just over 13 million. The sixth, the Tanugi Bozo of Burkina Faso at 3,100. The seventh, the Darkad of Mongolia at 23,000. The eighth, the Somali in Somalia at 8.3 million. The ninth might, let's say, be a small one, be the Bushi of Madagascar at 1,700. The tenth, the Western Baloch in Iran at 7,270. Yeah. The, Eleventh, the Rohini of Myanmar at 2.7 million. The twelfth, the Saki of Nepal at 365,000. The thirteenth, the Messir of Sudan at 71,000. The fourteenth, the Turks in Turkey at almost 55 million. The fifteenth, the Bakar Pygmy of Gambon at 7,200. And the sixteenth, the last ball, could be the North Yemeni of Yemen at 11.5 million. People who have never heard of Jesus. In that little length of chain, that, if that was that list, would represent 138.8 million people, about five and a half times the population of Australia that has never heard the name of Jesus. But, in truth... That is just the tip of the iceberg because each one of these balls represents an ethnicity that has never heard of Jesus. Each one of those balls. 7,000 ethnicities in the world have never heard the name of Jesus. Just over 40% of the world's population. 2,000 years after Jesus gave that command to his disciples, 7,000 ethnicities still don't know Jesus. It makes you sick. It makes me sick. This is not simply a command that was given to a chosen few, to the called ones. But it was a command that was given by Jesus to his disciples in every age. Personally, I believe that the concept of a sense of calling is one of the biggest deceptions and lies that the devil uses against the church. Christ commands that each and every follower must be involved in the task. Yes, at times, he uses specific ways to lead specific people, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to use the rest of us too. We shouldn't sit back and wait for our time to come or for a sense of calling. As 1 Timothy 3 states, those who desire to be involved in ministry desire a noble task. If you have the desire then what are you waiting for? Start exploring it. Work out what you can do to be taking the gospel to over 7,000 ethnicities that do not know. When we talk about Jesus, we often talk of love. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. 
He demonstrated his love by giving his life for us. Have you ever thought that the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself actually goes hand in hand with the Great Commission? What is the best way to demonstrate your love for your neighbour? Tell them about Jesus. Encourage them to love the Lord. Jesus finishes his command to the disciples with the promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And what a great, wonderful, and amazing gift it is too. Jesus will be with his followers always. But it comes on the end of the command. It's meant to be linked with the command. For Christians need to be submissive and obedient, and Jesus will be with us to the very end of the age. It's a promise that's linked to our obedience. Jesus will be with us till the very end of the age, but they're not our lives to live. They're lives that have been bought at a price, and therefore we need to be obedient. We need to follow where he is leading, and we need to show the master how much we love him by, by, by being willing to go and to share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a God of love, that you love not just us, but you love each and every person in this world. Lord, we want to see you praised and worshipped by every ethnicity. We want that picture at the end of, or in Revelation 7, to be, to be true, Lord God, of every nation, tribe, and tongue before your throne. And so, Lord, whatever role you have for us to play in that, we ask and we pray that you would show us, that you would lead us, that you would help us to be involved. Lord, because we want to see your kingdom come and we want to see you glorified. In your name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.